0: Turn over there, Romans chapter 6 this morning. Uh, To my knowledge, I think this will be the last message that is concentrated in Romans 6 in this particular series. Not saying we'll never come back here again. I'm sure we will. We'll refer to it throughout. Its principles are timeless. But this will be our last attempt to get these truths across. I want to say a couple of things before we read the text. Number one, and I, I mean this. Uh, This stuff is way over our head, way over our head. It's way over my head to even try to tell you what this means, Uh, but I'm hoping the Lord will do it. Last week, uh, those of you that were here, we tried to grapple with two verses. I probably personally on my end made a mess of it. I hope the Lord took something in that and instilled it into you. Uh, And hopefully he'll do that again today. So I want to tell you this is important. Every time you hear teaching and preaching in the Word of God, do it prayerfully. So not just right now. I'm not going to stop and have a formal prayer time where we invite the Lord to teach us. I've already done that at the beginning of the service. But I want to invite you to be doing that throughout. Lord, show me what this means. Because here's the second thing I want to say before we read the text. Okay? What we are going to look at in Romans 6, these truths... Or what is normal and expected in each Christian's life. No matter how long you've been saved or how new you are to Christ, what we're reading, I'm telling you, what we have been learning in Romans 6 and what we're going to look at today is what is normal and expected. We're not talking about what's for the exceptional Christians. Yeah, that Romans 6, that's like those top 10% Christians. They're like really serious. And they see things happen in their Christian life. And then there's the other 90% of us. That is not what this is talking about. And by the way, I need to clarify this. I'm going to talk like I'm going in a cycle here, but I'm not. I don't say that to put added pressure on you. I say it to give you hope. If you really are a Christian, now that's the question. I don't know. I can't tell by just looking at you physically. But if you've ever put your faith and trust in Christ, then this passage is going to happen. You should expect this to happen. It would be highly unusual for these things not to happen in your life. So again, not to put pressure, but to give hope. So with that in mind, last week, I thought we were gonna tackle these 10 verses, but we couldn't, so we looked at two, and that was the first point. We're gonna hit that point again today, as we kind of try to glean three, I hope, what are the three main ideas of verses 14 to 23, closing out Romans 6. So as we have Romans 6, verse 14, we'll start reading there in a moment. And I'm, I'm going to preface it with this. Two verses earlier, Paul says this. Let not, so Christian, hear it again. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let, so Christian, don't let sin reign. Don't let it. Why? Verse 14. Do not let not sin therefore reign. Verse 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you. This is God's word. You have to hear this as God's word. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who's saying it. What's that God's name anyway? Jeff something. Who cares? This is God's word. So you need to hear this. If you're a Christian, say, This is talking about me. This is what's normal. This is what's expected. This is not just the exceptional, though it is exceptional, but it's the work of God. Verse 14, Christian, hear it again. These are facts. Sin will have no dominion over you. Since, if you were here last week, you know that I really wrestled with that word. Apparently, A, 14A happens partly because of 14B. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Paul asks a question. Are we to sin? Be it wallow in sin or commit acts of sin? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Is that a pretty good plan? Hey, since we're not under the law of God, how about we just sin? Verse 15 ends, by no means is the answer. And then he gives an explanation. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? And he gives two examples either of sin, if you obey sin, you're a slave of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience. Slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So if a person is obedient, that's gonna lead to righteousness in their life. Verse 17, Paul literally is saying, he's given us a glimpse into his prayer. But thanks be to God that you, he doesn't even know these people face to face, but he's talking about the saved people in Rome because he's never been to Rome. He knows a few people there, but not very many. He says, thanks be to God. That you who were once slaves of sin, you used to be, you were once slaves of sin, as all of us were, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. If you're slaves to sin, then it leads to death, verse 16. But thanks be to God, you're not that anymore. You've become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching. To which you were committed. And having been set free from sin. Have become slaves. Of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms. Because of your natural limitations. For. We're going to spend most of our time. More proportionally in verse 19. Than any other passage. Paul says. For just as. You once presented your members, your body parts is the idea, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, just as you did that before. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So we're already putting things together. Obedience is... From the heart to this standard of teaching leads to righteousness. And righteousness keeps developing and life turns into sanctification. Sanctifications where we become more and more like Christ the longer we're saved. It's a process. It's not instant. We're, we're on a journey. We, he will be making us more and more like Christ. Because righteousness leads to sanctification. Obedience leads to righteousness. Righteousness leads to sanctification. And in verse 20, it's its own little section. It'll be our third point today, 20 to 23. Why, Paul? For when, you've got to think here, you've got to think back if you're a Christian, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Uh Uh-oh. From the heart, committing ourselves to this standard of teaching, doctrine, leads to obedience leads to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. And when sanctification's done and we keep becoming more and more like Christ, ultimately we'll die and leave this world and we then enter eternal life. Everything's in a progression all along. That's what's going to happen. This is the normal to be expected thing that happens. And then that very famous verse that we use so often when we're talking to someone about how to be saved, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages, sin death but the free gift wages of sin free gift of god wage gift sin god wage of sin is death death there's that category but the free gift of god is eternal life and then that last added phrase is the key to everything in christ jesus our lord last week we started looking at three things we've hit one and that'll be our first point again today. If we can recap, would you write this down? As Christians, we are above the law. We're above the law, but not against the law. So I want to emphasize both parts of that. As Christians, we are above the law, but not against the law. Would you look again at verse 14 and 15? Paul says several facts here. For sin will have no dominion over you, Christian. That should be good news. Great. Sin, watch this. I, if I'm a Christian, I will never just wallow endlessly, lifestyle, habitually, uncontrollably. I will never wallow in sin ever again. It will not be the unbroken pattern of my life. It will not. Why? Well, there's other reasons in verses 1 through 14. I don't have time to go back to those. It has to do with you died in Christ So you died to sin, it cannot do that over you, but verse 14 now gives us another reason sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Well, we wrestled with that last week. You guys remember this? What's this mean? First of all, what does it mean to be under? And when we figure that out, how come that we as Christians are not under the law but under grace? And then how come being under grace and not under the law, how come that means sin will have no dominion over us? So I tried to touch those. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit right now to kind of, as we rehearse this, drive this a little deeper into us. What does it mean to be under? I use my hands even. We're all born under the law. So the law, and then we're under the law. That means its rules and its penalties apply to us. We're born under the law. The soul that sins shall die. That means they will go to hell. They have to be separated from God. There's the law. Uh Uh-oh, we broke the law. We broke the law. So that's under well then how come a Christian is no longer under the law but above the law? What happens there? And this is where it got even trickier. Everything keeps going back to this one thing. I'm in Christ. I don't know the full ramifications. I don't have full understanding of it. All I know is that when Jesus died on the cross, if I put, listen carefully if, you've, if you're not a Christian, if I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross that it counts for me, it's enough, and I believe in that, then all of a sudden... I am now placed in Christ. You say, what's that in Christ? Just picture Christ, put yourself in him. And so whatever he does, it's like it's happening to you. He kept the law perfectly. He kept it perfectly and if I'm in him, it's as if I kept the law perfectly. And then he died on a cross. If I'm in him, I died in him on the cross. And so he kept the law for me so it counts as if I've kept the law and now I die and the law doesn't apply to dead people. And so in that, transaction we are moved out from under the law and placed above the law but still under grace. And Paul says something in that, that dynamic is one of the reasons why sin will not have dominion over you as a Christian. It will not. Why? We didn't see it in this text but y'all remember last week we went and tracked down Galatians and Paul had a word in Galatians that changes everything. It's implied here. It'll, It'll come up later. Here's the difference. When you got saved, you had to do this. By the way, you say, I I didn't know that wording. I didn't know that theology of it. It doesn't matter when you get saved, but here's what happened. You had to have a point where you realize, God has these laws and demands. I've broken them. I've tried to do that, but I can't. And so you tried to do the right thing to earn your way to heaven because you were afraid of what was going to happen when you die and you've heard there's this place called hell and I don't want to go there. And I tried and I tried and I tried, but I failed. And by the way, all you have to do is fail one time in one point. We've all done that. We're born in sin. And it's just like hopeless. That's a good thing when you realize that because once you realize I can never keep the law as a pathway to righteousness, Pathway to righteousness. Here's some people's belief. If I do good, then God's going to notice it and He has to let me go to heaven. But you had a day. If you got saved, you realize this I can never keep the law, I can never save myself and then you hear the truth of scripture and you realize all I can do is receive it God literally holds out salvation you can't see it or touch it but it is real it's called eternal life and God says I've got everything done everything for you all you have to do is receive it and at some point without moving your hands without even having to move your vocal cords you say I prayed a prayer wonderful but it is your soul and spirit hearing the truth and you just receive it and God I will take it again I said that in English some of it says it in another language someone who doesn't even know exactly all the ramifications they just Hear the truth, I accept it, and I believe it. And we'll hear that in a minute in a passage. And once that happens, here's what happens: you're moved out from under the law, you're put under grace because you realize, God, the only way for me to go to heaven is for you to give me salvation. And so you're giving me mercy. And eternal life and grace. And here it comes. You say, what makes sin not have dominion over us? Because that transaction where he does everything and we don't do anything, we just receive, it makes us love God. God, you mean I get this for free? Yes, for free. Just receive it. You sent him to go through all of that, to die for me, for you. Me, But I was your enemy. Yes, for you. But I've done this and this and I've thought these things and I've not done any of these things and I'm just so, you love me. And then you receive salvation and here's what happens. I want to live for you now and I'm not perfect, but I want to. And that's what happens in verse 14. All of a sudden, your life changes not because you're scared of going to hell and trying to do good. Your life changes because you're wanting to please God out of love. Can we take a note? Grace creates within believers a love for God that makes us want to please him. I want to please you. God, you did all that for me. I now want to. And again, I still fail. But I want to please him. No longer trying to please God out of fear of going to hell. God, look what good thing I've done. No, it's just responsive to his grace. That's what happens in salvation. Salvation we find a dynamic that love, please hear this, love for God is far more powerful than fear of God. Here's this person over here, afraid and fearful of God and fearful of going to hell, and they try to do the right thing, but it just doesn't last. And then this person gets saved, and their life really changes. By the way, I failed to mention this. The Holy Spirit comes in a person, and he's the... He's the real engine. He makes it possible but then he starts forming in us a love back for God and now I find myself wanting to please God. I want to make a statement that many of you, you've already thought through this. You've heard it. I first heard this probably in the middle 90s, early 90s and it finally dawned on me. But there's somebody here this morning you've never thought of this. All right, You have to picture it. Pretend we have no Ten Commandments. There are no Ten Commandments. Nowhere in the Bible will you find these things stated. Literally, just lift out all of that. We don't know that God likes that and dislikes that. It's just removed. Got it? It's gone. The Ten Commandments are gone. But if we have no Ten Commandments, but we have love, if we have love, you will keep the law but you'll keep it far better than having a list of do's and don'ts that you're going through your life trying to earn your way to heaven. No, literally we wouldn't need the law. You say, Jeff, are you preaching against the law? No, I'm not. The law serves a great purpose. It exposes our sin. It even stirs up our sin. And it's not the law's fault that we're sinful, but it shows us the problem. But if we were to take away the laws of God, you say, I don't even know that. Would you take his name in vain, the one who's keeping you out of hell at this moment? You say, no, if I love him, I wouldn't do that. Would you kill someone? You say, no, if I love, I wouldn't do that. Would you lie? Would you steal someone else's stuff? Absolutely not. Because the law is for sinners. Love is for saints. And love does way more than, love ever, than, than, than fear ever could. And performance, now our want to's been changed. Look at verse 15 as we get ready to move on to the next point. Paul knows that's dangerous teaching, verse 14. So he says, what then? Are we to sin? Hey, a lot of people hear that. Here's a lot of Christians' response or so-called Christians' response. Hey, you preach verse 14, then everybody's just going to conclude, hey, we're not under the law anymore. I can get to live any old way I want to. You can. But boy, if you're going to live the way you're implying, it sounds like you don't have any love for God. So verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. I used the illustration last week. I said, if, just pretend, if you were really, really, really exempt from any laws of the United States on any level, you're totally exempt, and I just use traffic, right? And, and you have a car, and it's specially marked, and everyone knows, hey, this is not a nation, it's a kingdom, and you're the king's kid. And everybody knows that's the king's kid over there. There's no rules apply to them. Okay, and there's 85,000 people making their way into Death Valley Stadium on a Saturday in, in the fall. Would you really come zooming 100 miles an hour down Tiger Boulevard and then zipping up by the the stadium with all these people crossing the road because you can. You gonna do something about that? That's the king's kids. They just kind of get to do their own. They're above the law. We don't have any jurisdiction. of. Would you really do that? And I asked that last week. I can't say for everybody, but every face that I saw that was responding, it was as if all of you said, I used Westside as an illustration, going 80 miles an hour through Westside. Would you do it? If you were exempt, you're not going to get a ticket. And even if you kill someone, you're not going to jail. You're like, no, no, I wouldn't do that. As a Christian, you're above the law. You'll never face its penalties. But you're not against the law. Holy Spirit doesn't lead his people to go against the law. Just the motivation has now changed. So here's, here's, the, here's the takeaway. You ready? So what's the action step on verse one? Here's all I could come away with It's not specifically defined in the text. Here's what I find. I'm gonna encourage you to do this. Spend some time meditating on the grace of God, how God gave you good things you don't deserve and he will give you things you can't even understand. It will blow you away and he is not at this moment giving you what you deserve. Literally all of us at this moment, I shouldn't be standing here because of what I've done. I should be in hell in torment screaming at the top of my ability. I should be there right now, but I'm not. I'm here talking to you. And just meditate on the grace of God until it stirs within you a love for God, and your life will change. You will not be against the law. You'll be pleasing the Lord, I promise you. Now, the second thing is a little longer section than that one, and it's verses 16 and 19. Would you write this down? Not only are we as Christians above the law, but we as Christians are free, we're free to be slaves. To righteousness. And you're like, man, you just went in a circle. We're free to be slaves to righteousness. Look at verse 16 again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? That's pretty practical, ain't it? Can I put that real basic? Ready? If you obey someone consistently, they're your boss. Another way. If you act like a slave, I'm not a slave, but if you act like a slave, you are a slave. If you act like a slave, if you continuously obey someone else, you are a slave. The word present here means, if you keep presenting, it means to put at someone else's disposal. Let's, I'm going to sound a little bit preachy a few times today, and then this point, I'm going to get a little preachy. It's all right; I can handle an email or two. That's fine. We can discuss it out. I might even sound a little old school in a few minutes. But if this is you, right? I could quit any time. I could stop any. I can lay them down any time. I just don't want to. I just don't want to. Can I tell you something? Your want to is your will. Your will has been captivated by whatever that just came into your mind. It could be anything. It could be a person. It could be just sin as a whole. It could be a drug like alcohol or nicotine or caffeine. I can stop it any morning. I just don't, right? I'm not addicted to coffee. I'm not addicted to that those things in that box I'm not addicted to what's in that bottle I can stop at any time but you don't listen I'm not 100% saying you're a slave I'm saying you're acting like a slave you say and deny it all you want you ever seen the parents again I've used this before the little three and the four year old that always bosses the parents around they're the master no they're not we just don't like to see her upset right We just like to see her, we just like to see him happy. Yeah, he runs the house. He's the master, you're the servant. Oh no, hey, some of y'all are gonna relate with this. A person will come to your mind down at the plant, right? They got the same rank as everybody else. But they walk around like a big shot. Barking out orders, just telling people what they... They hadn't even been there as long as some other folks. But they've been there just two or three years. And they're going around telling people eight, nine years. Hey, barking out orders. Same pay, same rank. You say, why are they doing it? Because they found somebody that does what they say to do. Well, I don't have to. They're not my boss. you keep doing everything they say to do? I'm, I'm not trying to cause trouble at the workplace, I promise. <laughs> That's not my goal. All I'm saying is, do you do what they do at, say to do every time? Well, yeah, we all kind of do. They are the boss. They are the boss. Well, they don't have the title. They don't need the title. They're the boss. That's what Paul's saying. If you keep submitting yourself to whatever it is, whether it be of sin or of righteousness, that's your master and you're the slave. Here's what I find. Before we come to Christ, all of us must obey our master, sin. Sin calls, we always obey. But here's what the trouble is with this passage. You ready? We are free to be slaves to righteousness. Here's the problem I'm finding. A lot of Christians, and I think it's because they don't know, or if they know theologically, they're not considering themselves dead to sin and alive to God. Maybe they don't even know they're dead to sin, or they don't consider themselves dead to sin, or they're not busy presenting the members of their body to Christ. That's two weeks ago's message. But I find a lot of Christians going around acting like some sin is still their master, and it's not. And if they would just peel back the layers and realize what's going on, it's just like the Wizard of Oz. Hey, spoiler alert! Turn it off. Turn me off if you've not seen the movie and you plan on seeing. It. He's just a little man behind a curtain pulling levers and making smoke and big claims. Ha ha ha! He's he's powerless. I find a lot of Christians, and I've been there myself. And I can act like it again in the future. I hope I don't. I hope I remember these principles. But we go through life letting some sin that doesn't have power over us dictate to us and we just obey kind of like we did before we were a Christian. But we've been freed from it. Now, here's what I find. I say, but Jeff, man, this is great. I'm kind of connected. It's a little difficult. But I'm kind of getting some of the things you're saying. Here's what I find. It only really comes home and takes a root. And I don't want you to glorify and just... And just, you know, fixate on your sin. But I find when we bring sin into play and make it real practical, that's when the truth goes deeper. So I took the liberty to write down a little list. Is there any Christian here today, you say, something on the list you're about to read hits me. And boy, this last week or this last month, I've been acting like the Christian who's been freed from the power of that sin Praise the Lord, I'm free from the penalty, penalty of it. I'll never face it. And I'm free from the power of it, but I'm acting like I'm not free from the power of it. And it's been bossing me around and I've been kind of yielding to it. Paul says, hey, don't you know that you're the slave of the one you keep obeying? Is this you? Anybody here? Don't say out loud. You worry all the time. Worry. Worry. You're like, worry, that's a good thing. means I care. Worry is sin but it rules you. It is your master. You cannot stop worrying. You worried before you got saved and you've been saved 10 years and you still worry all the time. Paul says, verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? But verse 17, he says, thanks be to God, that's not you anymore. Verse 14 says sin's not going to dominate over you, it's not going to have dominion. Verse 12 says, Don't let it. It doesn't have the power. Well, if I take that long on each of these, we'll be here forever. Here's one. Is this you? Doubt. Doubt. You doubt God's control. You doubt God's love. You doubt his plan. You doubt his purposes. Most of us have been there. Do you live there? You're letting it rain. Here's one. This is so nebulous, you're going to have to fill in the blank. Somebody will fill in the blank. Is this your sin? It's a certain scenario you always fall into sin. It's a setting. It's a time. It's certain people are there. Every time, it's that setting, it's that that time and that person or people it's like every time I always end up feeling guilty and like a failure for some of you it's a business trip every time and you feel you make up your mind but every time you go out of town it's guilt because it acts like your master because you formed some habits before you got saved and now you still go and others of you by the way it's family vacations Right? Big family and everything every year is great on Sunday. Isn't it it's wonderful. is wonderful. Monday's great. And we're all getting along. And Tuesday and Wednesday. But by Wednesday and Thursday every year, rawr, why don't we even do this? Next year, rawr, 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 rawr. bunch of Christians going off and doing this. You say, well, it's inevitable. I don't think it has to be inevitable. The text is saying stop being slaves. Stop going down there knowing Wednesday and Thursday it's going to hit. So let's enjoy the first part of the week and then we'll do our personal excursions at the end. Maybe that is a good plan, by the way. There are practical steps. Get a big place. I know of one in cashiers that you could rent. Big place. I gave a plug. Uh, (laughs) Is this you? Boy, I got to hit these fast. Lust and all the ramifications of it. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is your master. You live there. Lying. You're like I, I, I'm okay in a lot of areas, but I just I, I'm allergic to the truth. I just lie, lie. Here's others. Disobedient to parents. Like it's a small thing. No, you're acting like a slave, but you've been saved from it. But you keep being disobedient, dishonoring to parents. Here's one. Racial pride. Racial pride leading to hate and you just keep going through life excusing it like it's okay. No, it isn't. It's killing everybody around you. It leads to death. It's sin. It's wrong. Stop being a slave to that sin. Yeah, but we live in the South. Grow up. Get a Bible perspective. You're no better than anybody else because of the way God made you. Line yourself up under people and serve them love them here's somebody ingratitude you're an ingrate and it leads to discontent you say that's my thing I'm always discontented here's somebody else idolatry there's something it may be someone it gets the affection and the time and energy that belongs to God but you love that thing and it has such a hold it might not even be a sinful activity but because it takes God's place it's idolatry workaholism laziness laziness Slander and gossip, those so often go together. Slander and gossip. I wrote this down this morning. You know you shouldn't. You know you shouldn't. And the whole I think it's the Holy Spirit. You're getting ready, and oh, it's juicy, and I kind of threw it out. It was just a grunt. We're talking, and mm, Uh what? Well, what? I really shouldn't. When's the last time you stopped and didn't? When's the last time you said, no, actually, nope, not doing it, not doing it. Come on, now you've already teased me. Nope. Moving on. When's the last time you said, or do you just do this? Ah, that's just my area. As I stab people and kind of twist the knife in their back sin, gluttony, prayerlessness, anger, and frustration. These things want to control us and they lead to death, which is separation from God. And we're going through life acting like we're slaves of something that really is powerless. Pull the curtain back. You're not my boss. Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 24 on the screen. See Matthew 6. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one. he said, well, I kind of have my sin that I serve and I serve God. Jesus says, you can't do both. So here's a quick summation of verse 16. We've got to hit verse 17 after this. Listen carefully. Jesus says, no man can serve. No one can serve two masters. Based on verse 16, if your life is an unbroken pattern of obedience to sin then one of two things is happening. If verse 15 is you, you ready? If verse 15 is shall we continue a sin? Basically, because we can. Hey, I'm not under the law anymore. I'm above the law. I'm never going to be penalized in the next life for that. If, if anything on that list that we just talked about and that is your master, then one of two things is happening. Either you're acting like a slave when you're not or you were never saved. One of those two things. If you're a Christian, we need to go to verse 12 because of verse 14 and previous verses. Stop letting it dictate over us. He says, is this just psychological pep talk? No, bring it before the Lord. Realize, no, consider and be busy yielding the members of your body. Go visit two weeks ago's message online. It talks about how to do that. It's either that or you never really got saved. So we have to ask ourselves, then how does a person get saved? Look at verse 17. Two main thoughts out of verse 17. Paul says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Two thoughts. Ready? See, verse 17 has this word, from the heart to the standard of teaching. Teaching, you know what it means? Doctrine. And you're probably thinking, Jeff, you're kind of big on doctrine, aren't you? I am. Why? The Bible is big on doctrine. It's key. It's crucial. Doctrine's crucial. Paul says you're not that anymore because now you've been obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, to the standard of doctrine. We live in a day, and this has been true for thousands of years. Listen carefully. A lot of people believe, well, as long as you're sincere, God knows you're sincere and he'll be okay. Okay. As long as I'm sincere in dealing with my sin, then surely God will let me into heaven. I'm gonna tell you something, that's a lie. Being sincere will not get you to heaven. This verse is giving us a glimpse into, it needs to be about the standard. You are obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. You see that word standard? If we could have Hebrews chapter eight, look at verse five, I'm not going into the text. Just look, I'm gonna show you one word, same word, how it's translated. Look at verse chapter five. 8 verse 5 of Hebrews. They, he's talking about the priestly, the Hebrews around the temple. It was still operating back before 70 AD. He's talking about the priests and all the things that they do and and their sacrifices and things. He says, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, which means the tabernacle in the Old Testament, he was instructed by God saying, watch this, God told Moses, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Moses, when you're building the tabernacle, so God takes Moses up on Mount Sinai and he reveals to him the real thing and he shows him a pattern and Moses sees it and his job is to go back down and make the, pa- the tabernacle, the one on earth, that's really just a shadow of the true and all the Levites, all their work is really just a shadow of what Jesus ultimately does and the real tabernacle, the temple in heaven. Which what he's saying? Moses, don't you go down there and just operate with your own ideas. It needs to be according to the pattern, the standard. The word means exactness. Can I write this down? When it comes to doctrine, exactness is crucial in doctrine. Exactness. It's got to be. He says, you believe from the heart the standard of teaching, the pattern, the exact truth of doctrine. So you say, Jeff, let me get this straight. As long as we have exactness in our doctrine, we'll go to heaven. No, there's another phrase in verse 17. Look at it. He says, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Two things have to come together here. Ready? I'm going to use the illustration that Jesus used. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm very confident. Unfortunately, this morning, there's what Jesus would call tares, and there are wheat. You say, what's tares and wheat? Tares and wheat look a lot the same. There are these things that plants would grow, but one is not real wheat and it's not productive and there has no fruit and you can't make bread with it and the other is the wheat. And, and, and the disciples and the farmers said, well, we need to go out and just tear up all the tares because they're just acting like wheat. They're not real wheat. They just look externally like it. And Jesus says, nope, you've got to wait and let it all come and they'll grow side by side. And at the day of harvesting, which is representative of the judgment day, it'll be made very clear, no doubt about it, because God knows who's tares and who's wheat. You say, so in that analogy, apply it to grace view. Here's my point. There's plenty of people who can come and do the external things that Christians do for a while and they'll look, and they may even be able to quote exactness of doctrine, and it sounds really good, and they know their theology. Here's, here's how you'll know. Give it time. Give it time. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 19, look at this. John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. You know what he's saying? Tears. Man, they perform and they act for a while, but their motive and what's driving is not love. It's trying to be religious or maybe earn God's favor or it's the expected thing. Give it time and they fall away. Two things need to meet. Because what Verse 17 is saying two things. There needs to be exactness of doctrine and it needs to be received from the heart. Would you look, if you want to turn there even, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, I'm going to read about three or four verses don't have time to go into all the background. Just here's what I'm going to say. Peter, the Apostle Peter, is preaching to an unsaved group of Gentiles. Gentiles have not become Christians directly at this point without becoming Jewish. Is that possible? So Peter's in this house of unsaved Gentiles. They're not circumcised. They're not doing the real, all the Jewish things. kind of know They've been watching and hearing some of the Jewish truths, but they don't know about the Messiah and Jesus Christ. Peter preaches about Jesus. We're jumping straight to verse 42. Because in verse 42 to 45, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see spirit, genuineness, sincerity from the heart meets truth, exactness, the pattern, the standard of teaching. Both of those are going to come together in this man named Cornelius and his family. Here's what it looks like. Again, we're jumping at the end of his message. Peter says, and he, Jesus, commanded us. We saw he, was, he died and rose and we saw him after his resurrection and he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43 is key. Here's an audience in this man's house literally sitting there like you are and Peter's up preaching a lot better than I am now. Verse 43, Peter says to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone." Who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's exactness, there's perfect soundness, perfect doctrine. Peter just said anybody who hears the truth about Jesus and believes in him, their sins are forgiven. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, these guys are watching, six of them, they're amazed because that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles right down these two things. What you see in Acts 10 is a combining of two things. Number one, perfect doctrine from the teacher. Hey, if you'll put your faith in Jesus You'll be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. And then inward acceptance of the doctrine. These people were so in tune with Peter's message. They believed on the spot. Didn't even pause for a formal prayer. Didn't have even a come forward. Though that is often needed to help someone. But in that case, they just believed the scripture. Back to Romans. One more verse I need to hit. This section, verse 19. First, look at verse 18, Paul says, and having been set free from sin, because you put your, you responded in obedience from the heart to the standard, to the perfect soundness, the exactness of the doctrine teaching, because you did that, verse 18, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now watch verse 19, I am speaking in human terms. You say, Jeff, man, he's talking a lot about slavery. So is this what happens? We're slaves to sin and we trade that in to be slaves of God? So we're just slaves no matter what. Paul says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms. I'm using a human analogy because of your natural limitations. It's it's spiritual. It's over your head. And one of the best ways I can get you to understand is, is to use a slave analogy. So, Jeff, what do you think Paul's trying to get across to us? It's only an analogy. Sort of. It's only an analogy of slavery. Sort of. But we become slaves. What's his point? Paul wants to show how slaves, get this, slaves are always at the disposal of their master. Before we get saved, sin calls. I'm here, I'll do it, what do you want? Yeah, I can do that. Oh yeah, I'll look at that. I'll say that. I'll do it, sure. But when you get saved and you have this love for God, all of a sudden, your want to changes. And the unsafe person says, I could stop. I just don't want to. And the Christian says, Lord, I want to please you. My want to has been changed. Can we have Philippians chapter 2 up on the screen? Again, don't have time to go in the background. Paul just says, therefore, my beloved. Hear this as if he's writing it to you, grace for you. As you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out. He's not saying work your way to heaven. Work outward. What's on the inside? Let it come out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Watch verse 13. It is key for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Did you see what he just said? Hey Christian, you said Jeff, you said this is supposed to be normal and expected and it's not just exceptional. How do I know that? It is God which works in you both to will I want to please the Lord, not out of fear, but out of love. I want to, both to will and to work. Well, I want to, but I can't ever, you will, hang in there if you're a real Christian. Not only will you want to please the Lord, you will work for his good pleasure. You will do it. Why? Christ captures our will. It's this, Christian, I don't have to serve God to go to heaven, but I want to. We could have our note here's what happens in christianity our service springs from a new heart a willing heart why because our want to has been changed by god our want to has been changed Another thought from verse 19. Paul says, I'm speaking, I'm using this slavery analogy. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Catch this, there's two progressions. Ready? Impurity is internal. We have impurity in the heart... And when that's vented, it comes out as lawlessness in our deeds. We act like God has not revealed laws to us. And then once we start performing lawlessness, that all started in the heart, it's uncontrollable. Barclay writes the following. He says, sin begets sin. The first time we do a wrong thing, we may do it with hesitation. Hesitation and a tremor, and a shudder. The second time we do it, it's easier. And if we go on doing it, it's because it's effortless now. Sin loses its terror. And I know what people think. Jeff, what you preached last week on this verse 14, it's going to lead to Christians living very ungodly lives. you got to kind of, okay, let us out from under the law, grace for you, but kind of keep us just on the edge of the law. Just keep us on the edge of the law. Just a little, we got to keep a little bit of fear As our motivation. And I think Galatians and Paul saying love far outperforms fear. Jeff, but if you keep preaching these ideas that come out of verse 14. That we're not under the law. Again, you're going to have very carnal, fleshly, ungodly Christians. And that's going to be your congregation. Can I remind you of three quick thoughts. Number one, the law never worked anyway. It never worked. Number two. Go back and look at them. Verses 3, 6, 7, 18, and 22 are all past tense. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Verse 4, we were buried. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 7, for one who has died, sin's not going to reign over us. It's not going to because it can't. Real Christians live more godly out of love than they do out of fear. And my final thought out of verse 19 is the following. So key. Look at the middle. Paul says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You know what it means? Now here's where I'm going to get preachy. He said, I thought he has been. Christian." You remember how you served sin before you got saved? The same energy and passion and fullness with which you served sin before you got saved, that's the level at which you should serve Christ. You say, I was 100 miles an hour back in the day now. You need to be 100 miles an hour for Christ. That's what he's saying. As you presented the members of your body for that, so now you need to present the members of your body for this. Paul persecuted the church before he got saved. I mean, he traveled to do it. The Sanhedrin didn't have to say, hey, man, we need someone. What do you think about this? No, Paul comes. Can I have the authority to go get these people in Damascus? I'll travel hundreds of miles to find these Christians and persecute them because Paul is 100 miles an hour. He thought he was right, but he was zealous, but he was sinful. He served sin 100 miles an hour. He opposed Christ. Then he gets saved. Read the New Testament. You know what Paul does? A hundred miles an hour serving for God. He only has one gear. This guy doesn't travel hundreds of miles to serve the Lord. He travels thousands of miles. So I'm off come to a conclusion. We could use this in many areas. I'm going to throw out one. A swearing, womanizing, brawling, drunkard, who gets saved should not merely warm up you picture the guy who for years could be counted on counted on to be down at the bar couple nights a week everybody knows his name that's his spot hey it's tuesday don't sit there oh that's right everybody knows it's friday don't sit there he'll be in in a moment Because a couple nights a week, two or three times a week before he came to Christ, he was loyal, and he'd get hammered, and he was rowdy. The more he took in, the rowdier got, and the more foul mouth he got. And he was always looking for a cheap thrill. I've had her, I've had her, we'll see how the night goes. Who's that girl over there? They could count on him. They could depend on him. If he's not there, oh yeah, he's out of town. Okay, we were wondering. Oh no, you didn't hear he's sick. or oh, he had to pull overtime tonight. Oh, I was wondering. We could count on him. And then he gets saved. You got the picture? And then he gets saved. And his service for God is spotty. A little here, a little there. And when he talks about the old days, he almost gets that wry smile and kind of reminiscing about, yeah. And it was nothing for him to run up a tab at the end of the month. What are owe you? 260, 260, right, good for it. And to just go through carton after carton or whatever the choice was. Okay, that's not my thing. That's my thing. And it's just sin and serving self. Sin and serving self. <laughs> Repetitionally, dependently. I mean, just, man, you could just count on it. He was a serving self and serving sin 100 miles an hour. And then he gets saved. And the Bible starts hinting as though God's saying, and how about a portion for me? We can't afford that. can't afford that. What do you mean? We can't afford that, man. We don't have money for that. And I'm not trying to be just a preacher preaching on money. Here's all I'm saying. You didn't think twice about years ago just blowing money on those things. But now you're in crisis like... Just, it's enough just to kind of warm a spot and not really do anything for the Lord. Paul says the same way, I've read this text, there are implied action steps, but there's one major imperative, and it is only in verse 19, the one main thing, the same way that you presented the members of your body for sin, you should be presenting the members of your body to Christ for righteousness sake. And this is not talking about, yeah, the goal is to not be bad. Verse 19 is not talking about not being bad. Verse 19 is talking about I use, watch this, I'm going to make my body, God, you know what I did for sin. You know how I've used this body before. I'm using this body for Christ. I'm making myself available, and when you put me in a spot, I'm going to be faithful. By the way, it may be work. It may be be difficult and long and tedious, and, oh, it's my week? Okay, what else do I have a body for, God? I'm going to serve you because I sure serve myself in sin. Will serve you. That's what verse 19 is talking about. And lastly. Not only are we above the law, not only are we free to be slaves to righteousness, but we're encouraged to take spiritual inventory. We're encouraged to take spiritual inventory. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That sounds confusing. Real simple answer. You ready? You ever had sugar free soda? Sugar free creamer? Like, yeah. Before Christ, we had a righteous free life. Sin, God, sin always looks more delightful to me. I want sin, it always looks better than God before Christ. More desirable. I craved it because you were righteous free. Free of righteousness. Didn't have any. But then something changed. Watch verse 21 and 22. We're talking about spiritual inventory. Paul asks a great question. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Have you ever seen this? I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. I know some change majors in college. And they kind of regret. Man, I took that class, all that study. I didn't even have to have it. What a waste. Or some change careers in their 30s. Listen to this. This is my personal testimony. You can chuck it if you want. I've been saved 38 years. I've been in full-time vocational Christian service, Christian ministry. It means as I get paid to be in the ministry. 22 years, I've been around a lot of Christians in that time. Here's my personal testimony I can share with you. I have never found one, not one sold out to God Christian who said, I wish I would have waited till later in life to come to Christ. I've not found one in my 22 years. Not one who said, man, if I knew I was gonna live this long, I was really kind of having a good time in sin and it was doing a lot for me. I wished I'd gave it another 15 and just kind of slid in for Christ there the last couple of years if I'd known. I was gonna. I've not found one. Here's what I have heard. I've heard several say they wish they'd come to Christ earlier. Not one wished I would have waited till later. Several wished I would have come earlier, and some of them are sitting here right now. Kind of nod if that's you. Like I wish I'd have come to Christ earlier. So Jeff, why are you pointing this out? If you're not a Christian, what are you waiting on? No, 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 Jeff, you don't understand. Sin. I, I, I just, I'm going to keep doing that, and I know I need to do this thing, get right with God. What's it doing for you? What's it doing for you? Where's that list? What's worry done for you? What's doubt? What's lust and unforgiveness, lying and disobedience and racial pride and ingratitude and idolatry and workaholism and laziness and slander and gossip and gluttony and prayerlessness and anger and frustration? How's it it working for you? I know what it's doing. It's not paying what it promises. My dad was in construction. 1969 he started a little construction company. Can't tell you how many times growing up I would see my dad frustrated because he did these jobs and the people didn't pay. The whole time I'm I'm picturing him with a tablet and a lock level and a shovel and and a ruler and he's figuring out how much dirt has to go from there to there and, and digging ditches and the whole time he's calculating and we're, we got fuel and me and my brother on Saturday morning pumping this thing in the back of his truck pumping fuel and one's holding the thing we'll go to the loader, loader, to the dozer over to the dump truck fill up the backhoe and my dad's paying these workers to come do this and my dad's working himself thinking at the end of it all he's going to get paid and then they decide I don't want to pay so now he can go to small claims court stop working stop making money to go collect money that he thought he was going to get paid forget it I don't have time for that and he's just frustrated that is what somebody here today you're doing in sin you're putting all this investment in sin and it doesn't pay what you think it's going to pay what does it give you? it gives you this misery frustration bondage death verse 23 write this note sin pays Serving sin pays. Man, I've never heard a preacher say, boy, it pays to serve sin. It pays to serve sin. Sin always pays, but it doesn't pay what you think you're going to get paid. It pays in death. It may be physical death. It'll at least be spiritual death, and it leads to eternal death and separation from God. I heard an analogy that I'll close with today. Look at verse 23. Paul says, we're supposed to take spiritual inventory. He says, what did your life in sin give you? How about your life for the Lord? What's it going to yield? It's about eternity there. Verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wage of sin. I'm going to borrow from John Piper. He, he said the following. You know why we want wages at the job? You say, I work a job. You want to get paid, right? You say, yes. Why? Why? He used, here's those words, not quotes, but here's his concept. You ready? The reason we want wages is because we are depleting our life. You say, I gave effort and time. I could have been doing something else, but I was working for you. I want wages. And you're like, yes, I want wages from my work. Sin pays wages, but sin He uses an analogy. It hit me. You may not get anything out of it. He says sin is like a vampire. It's like Dracula. And Dracula formulates a potion so that every time his victim gives him one pint of blood, the victim who gave the pint of blood gets a high. So they give him a pint of blood, but they get a high. And they don't know they're being depleted. It's depleting them. But they feel good. It feels good and so they keep giving more and more and he's getting, but they get this fake little high that masks what's really happening. You're depleting your life. Sin depletes and depletes and it takes and it takes, but it gives you this cheap little thrill so that you think you're really getting something, but it's sending you to hell. And once you're there, there is no going back. Everything is in Romans 6.23 that you need to know how to go to heaven. Everything is there. It has exactness of doctrine if you believe it from the heart. God doesn't pay a wage. Because a wage by definition means you've earned it. God gives gifts. You know what a gift means? You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. If you're not a Christian, listen carefully. You are serving sin. It is depleting you. It is sending you to hell. It will pay off in death. But if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, as the end of verse 23 says, God will give you a gift, and the gift is called eternal life. I don't have time to develop this thought. Eternal life is not just a long kind of life. It's the best kind of life. Never heard one Christian regret. What are you waiting on? Would you close your eyes for a moment? Would you close your eyes just for a moment? We haven't done this in a few weeks. A few moments ago I spoke about exactness when it comes to doctrine. Exactness, there has to be a coming together of two things. Listen carefully. Somebody may need this. Verse 23 gives the exact correct standard of doctrine of teaching to be rid of sin in your life. You say, well, I'm just going to kind of take my chance. I'm going to be sincere and hope God sees my heart and that'll be enough. No, that's not enough. Sin is depleting your life and it's giving you a fake temporary high masking what's really coming and oh, it's coming. Eternal death and separation from God in a lake of fire. No going back. You really only always have right now. You never have tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. You only always have right now. You may not be here. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm being factual. You may not be here in this life. Your body, but your soul and spirit may not be here this afternoon, but you have right now. And I'm asking you, I'm not saying somebody who does this every month. I mean, you've never done this. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, what are you waiting on? Stop holding on to sin. It is lying to you. It is depleting you and giving you a fake eye. The key is to put your heart and latch on to the truth of verse 23. Here it is. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, it's a free gift, eternal life. Here's the key. In Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to beg you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, do it today. Give Him all your sin from your heart. Believe. Like, believe right now that God hears you. That You don't have to say these things out loud like me as a nine-year-old boy. Literally, you hear the truth of God and you say, I'm going to believe God is right here in front of my face. With my heart, I'm going to ask Him to save me. Would you do it right now? like Literally where you're sitting there right now, would you just tell God, God, I admit I have sinned against you. I admit it. And now, since God can't lie, I'm going to invite you to do this. You talk to God, not to me. You talk to God right now and say, God, you said the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, say it to him. Lord, I don't understand it all, but I want you to let what Jesus did on the cross count for me. God, right now, I'm asking you, forgive me of my sins, and I believe you're doing it. God, forgive me of my sins right now. In just a moment, I'm going to close us in prayer. We'll not have a final song. I'm going to close us in prayer. Before I do that, Christian, I want to ask you this. Christian, Does your life indicate that Christ is your master or are you living a lie that looks like sin is your master? It's not, but it's been looking like that. Say, Jeff, that's me. I want to encourage you this week, maybe even today, you and God get alone and say, God, I'm going to meditate on your good grace to me. And Lord, let it result in love and I know when I love you I'll not want to displease you I'll want to please you and I'll have victory over that sin that you don't like not to earn my way to heaven I already have that but Lord because I love you more I'm going to please you and you'll give me victory you need to meditate on the goodness of God and just before I pray I've got to ask Christian how are you using your body parts as slaves of righteousness how are you doing it Who here today, you say, Jeff, man, I served sin before my salvation. I was vibrant. I was passionate in how I served sin. And now I'm just very lackadaisical in my Christianity. Verse 19 was not talking about not being bad. It was not talking about prohibitions and stop doing that and that. It was saying, it was asking this. Do you have a specific way you are positively serving the kingdom of Jesus? can you right now say I do this for the Lord with my body and I used to serve sin with my body but now I'm going to serve Christ if you can't think of something I'm going to invite you to meditate on the grace of God till love stirs within us and you're like I want to serve Him even when it's hard and when it's work it may start as a work of faith but I want it to be a labor of love would you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer Father Thank you for these folks' attention. Lord, this stuff's over our head. I've messed it up. But would you take something for every person here? Lord, let us go home and get Romans 6 out personally and just pour over it and get our notes. and Lord, just see what you have for us in a private time. And then, like Bill said last week, just kind of been using it through the week. Let that be all of our testimonies, Lord, that your Holy Spirit applies your word. Thank you because it's powerful and your spirit is the difference maker. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow and I stand face to face with the enemy I will know that I am not